This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This study in Revelation is exactly like we were in the book of James and book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. It's expository. It's verse by verse. And uh, this, is, this is a study where you will need a lot of notes. You'll need to take a lot of notes in this because it, it is so deep and it is so complicated. Even as we move further on into this uh, book, you will find out that uh, there is so much that uh, you will lose track on fast if you don't stay alert uh, with your notes. And so I, I do pray that it's going to be a blessing to you. Now, to give you just a little bit more of a background where we were last Wednesday evening, we only had just a couple of minutes to get into this study, but at the particular time that Revelation was written, the Roman emperor at this time, his name was Domitian. He was a cruel type of a leader. He was sort of like Nero, who was in himself a barbaric, a brutal individual. Domitian was the same way, and he had demanded public worship. He had demanded that people would acknowledge him as a god, that he, he would be worshipped uh, all throughout the land. And uh, as a result of that, you have to remember that the, the church had just basically been birthed, uh, and uh, it was in its infancy. And as the scriptures were just coming to be, as far as the epistles and uh, scriptures of the New Testament, Christians were facing unbelievable persecution. I'm talking about in, in the most barbaric way. And as a result of that, many believers, and you have to remember, not only was the church in its infancy, but people were just receiving Jesus. They were just trusting the Lord. So they were not deeply scholared, even though they were well taught with Peter and Paul especially. Uh, but many Christians refused to obey this Roman emperor Domitian. And as a result of that, he inflicted unbelievable persecution on the church. And by the way, historians tell us that this was the second great persecution of the church. And in this persecution, Christians were exposed to public ridicule, economic boycott, imprisonment, exile, and death. And so as a result of all the happenings that was going on throughout the land, the book of Revelation was given to us for several reasons, and we will talk about them in our study. But primarily, because of the depth of persecution that early Christians, the early church was going through, the book of Revelation was a comforting word of God. It was given to us as comfort in light of the terror and the persecution that was going on. Because from this, and we can even identify with it now in our spiritual lives, even though we see the world turned upside down, and there are many times, and there are most of us, I think, in here that wonder how in the world could the world get any worse than 
uh, it is right now. By the way, I just finished uh, my prophecy series not too long ago. And in, uh, I think it was the last message I preached in that series of six sermons, I talked about uh, World War III, how close are we to that? And, and I believe we are there now. But I don't know how many of you saw uh, in the recent news and yesterday and today that Syria, who is now yoking up in a more prevalent way with Iran, China, and Russia, Syria says themselves that World War III has already begun. I believe it. I preached it just a few weeks ago. But to see or read of the uh, nation of Syria to acknowledge this, I'm, I'm assuring you that this uh, movement with Russia towards the Ukraine and soon China with Taiwan and then uh, Iran and Syria. Now, did you read recently where uh, Saudi Arabia has now joined forces with uh, Iran? So all of this is coming together to form the armies of the world where Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 specifically talk about. But we're at warp speed now. Things are moving at such a rapid uh, pace and as it was back in the day when this book was written, A.D. 96, this book was given to Christians, the early church, early believers, as a way of comfort because even now, you and I, not only them back then, but you and I can take this book and compare it to world events, the times in which we live right now. And again, you say, how could it get much worse? But I assure you it can and we can take this book and we can start in chapter one. And if you like to fast speed, speed read is what they call it. You can go to the back of the book and this is the comfort. That in spite of the great tribulation that's just around the corner, that takes place immediately after the rapture for seven years. And all of the horrific things that take place in this period of time. And they are unbelievable. It sounds almost as though things are coming out of an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And how could it be real? But I can assure you, you can look at everything the word of God says. You can start in chapter one and then take a slow read or you can fast speed read, but you can go to the back of the book. And I've heard this said many times, it's almost like a cliche, but you can read the back of the book and know that as children of God, we win. That's the comfort that we have as believers. And that's one of the primary goals the Holy Spirit wanted to work in the life and in the heart of John as he's writing this book because he's wanting to bring comfort to the church in spite of how bad it is and how bad it would become. And even in our day, we are still looking and wanting and waiting for the blessed hope. And we wonder how, how much worse it can get, but we have the comfort that at the, at the end we went. And it shows us that God was in control. He is in control and he will forever be in control. That's one of the goals the Holy Spirit wanted to work in the life of John as these words were written. Having said all of that and looking at some of the introduction that we went into last week, connecting the dots with this week's introduction 
I want us to now begin with verse number one. I emphasize that this is going to be a long study because we must take things very slow. But I want you to look here now in Revelation chapter one and we begin reading in verse number one. I'm going to read this verse and then I'm going to uh, guide you along through it. Again, if you are accustomed to writing in your Bible, I would encourage you to take some notes in the margin of your Bible or certainly in this study of Revelation, come on Wednesday nights with a, a notepad. So the word says, the revelation. Now this is not the revelations, but the revelation, that's important, of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him John, to show us his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So God gave the revelation to Jesus. Uh, Jesus bore it to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bore it in the heart and the bosom of, of John. Now, when you look at this word revelation, you might even want to underline it here in the beginning of verse number one because that word means, the word revelation means unveiling. And so that helps you uh, as we launch into this incredible book to understand that the Holy Spirit is using John in a supernatural way and this is what he's doing. He's almost like pulling back the curtain of time. And this unveiling takes place. The curtain parts. And now John being empowered by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit of God, he begins to write. Now, you have to remember that this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are people who uh, specialize in the teachings of Revelation who... Um, perhaps disagree with this one opening statement, but it is the unveilings of Jesus Christ. So keep this in mind. When Jesus came to the earth the very first time, he came in the spirit of meekness. The scripture says that he came, uh, he endured the cross, despising the shame that was set before him, he endured the cross uh, for the joy that was set before him. And so when he came the first time, he came in the spirit of meekness. He came obedient unto the death of the cross. In fact, Paul writes it this way in Philippians chapter two and verse number eight. He says this, and being found in fashion as a man, and keep in mind, he was the God man. He humbled himself. That's, that's something that a lot of people have trouble with today is humbling themselves. Paul said, I know how to be humbled. I know how to be, uh, he said, I, I know how to be abased. He said, I know how to be strong. I know how to stand tall. And he said, I know how to humble myself. Humility is a very important aspect of our Christian walk. He said, in being found in fashion as a man, Jesus humbled himself. Jesus knew how to do that himself and became obedient unto death. When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he said, thy will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And here, 
We, we see in Gethsemane, he became obedient to the Father's will. He became obedient unto death. And the scripture says, even the death of the cross. That was the plan of God. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And he was God manifest in the flesh. I have heard people disagree with that from daylight to dark. Jesus was not God. There, there, is, there are people of the apostolic persuasion that denies the Trinity. How can we deny the Trinity? And the Bible says that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Word, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. So it's important to understand this. Jesus was God in the flesh. How do we know that? In the Gospel of John chapter 1, in verse number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God in the flesh. And by the way, he demonstrated in thousands of ways that he was a meek, that he was obedient, uh, that he was God in the flesh. But here's the thing. Only people by faith who open up their hearts by faith are able to recognize this. Let me explain something to you. There, there is so much about the Bible that I don't understand. You might say, well, you've been preaching it for almost 50 years. I have. I handle this every day. This is my... This is my thing. This is what I do. I handle the word of God. But I will tell you, I, I honestly believe, and I, and I don't say this facetiously, I say it in all honesty, I don't believe that I know a thimble of what there is to know about this book. There is so much yet for me to learn. There's so much yet for us all to learn. I don't think as long as we live this life, if we're blessed with 80 years, 90 years, Think about this. It's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. I don't believe that in a person's lifetime, no matter how schooled and scholared that we become or we apply ourselves, we're, we're not going to, to learn at all. And, and I realize that. And so here's my position on the knowledge that I have of the Bible. I may not understand it all, but I believe it all. From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, so much, I don't know. And, you know, I have people ask me Bible questions from time to time, and there are times that I'm able to give an answer on the spot, and there are times I say, let me get back with you. And it keeps me polished and pointed and poised to know more about the word. But I believe it all, whether I understand it or not. But here's the thing. How do I believe it? How do I believe everything that's in this Bible from cover to cover? It's very simple. By faith. Now the just shall live by faith. And what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So even though we have scripture before us and we can read it and reread it and study it and restudy it, 
We may never, ever know the full meaning of it. And here's the other thing. Not that we preach heresy, not that we try to preach incorrect truth and doctrine, because what comes out of my mouth standing here at the sacred desk is important. I have to give an account one of these days for every word I say right here, and I understand the severity of that. But I believe by faith this is the unadulterated, infallible, immutable word of God. Whether I understand it all or not, I believe it is God's word. Now, it's a faith thing, but let me remind you of something. And before we went to Second uh, Peter and First Peter, for the longest time we were in the book of James. I don't know how many of you sat through that study. Maybe you watched it on the internet during the times of COVID, but let me say something about that particular study because I made a great point about this. James, for example, who was brought up in the home of Jesus. He was raised under the roof. At some point in time, we have no record of when Joseph The earthly stepfather of Jesus, we have no record of when he actually died. We do know that Mary and Joseph had many more children than just Jesus. And this is a fallacy of the Roman Catholic Church because they believe that Mary was a perpetual virgin. After she had Jesus, she had no more children. That's clearly against the scripture. That's a false doctrine. Jesus had brothers and sisters, and one of His brothers was James. And the truth of the matter is this. James was raised under the same household as these other siblings. Now again, the father of Jesus was God. That made all the difference in the world. Now Joseph and Mary had other children. Mary gave birth to the only begotten son of God. But Mary and Joseph had other children So they have this household. They're raising children. Jesus being included. And I think it very odd and strange how James could sit through the whole thing and not believe Jesus was who he said he was. I have reiterated this multiple times, but think about, do you you have devotions in your home? Do you have devotions in your personal life? In fact, my scripture this morning was what I just shared with you a moment ago. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. I think it's imperative that we have a daily devotional life. We have to do that. I wonder how many times in daily devotions did Mary and Joseph sit at the kitchen table with their siblings, their, their, their children, and these siblings were there. And I wonder how many times Joseph said, let me tell the story again. And maybe those children begin to roll their eyes. Oh, my goodness. You're going to talk about the angel Gabriel again. We are so tired of this story. But think about it. Telling the story time after time after time. And James, not only as a toddler, as a young boy, 12 like Jesus, he grew in statue. Becoming a teenager, becoming a young man, Here's the point. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. 
Now you think about this. We're talking about faith and, and how important it is for us to believe by faith that this is the word of God and everything that we're going to talk about in Revelation is, going, is not only things that have taken place already, but things that must shortly come to pass, things about eternity. We have to believe this book by faith. Faith is essential to who we are as children of God. And so James, he failed to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, in the beginning. Only half-heartedly did the other disciples go along with this thing, he being who he said he was. And, and so the world all around them was so blind to it that they offered, here, they offered Jesus a stable to be born in, and they gave him a brutal cross to die upon. But thank God, listen, one day, and I, and I don't believe that it's too far off, and I know there are skeptics in this world that's saying exactly what the scriptures say. Where is the promise of his coming? People have been talking about the second coming of Jesus for the last 2,000 years. And yes, and you know, here's the truth. I don't know when he's coming. You don't know when he's coming. I don't know when I'm going to die. You don't know where or when you're going to die. But here's the thing. If Jesus doesn't come in my lifetime, if, if my eyes closed in death before the rapture took place, I will go to my grave preaching Jesus is coming again. I believe that with all of my heart. And so I have to by faith. Now, so by faith, I believe that one day he is going to come, according to Revelation, we'll see this, and he's, he's coming with power, he's coming with glory, and he's coming to crush all of the oppositions to his church, to his word, to him. He's coming to deliver his church. He's coming to deliver his people. And in the book of Revelation, the person of Jesus Christ, as we see in the very first opening Components of this chapter, the revelation is talking about the person of Jesus Christ is unveiled. He is given to us as the spotless Lamb of God. Now, one of the purposes, as I've already mentioned in this book, is to give us encouragement that in the end, no matter how bad it is, we will win. But another purpose of revelation is given to us. I want us to look at another part of verse number one. And that's this, to show, to demonstrate, to show unto his servants a couple of things here. Things which must shortly come to pass. Okay, we, we recognize this is a little over 2,000 years old here. And, but, but the point of the matter is that things that must shortly come to pass, I want you all to know and be rehearsed in this great truth. And that is God has a plan for this earth. We're not just spinning on its axis out somewhere in the galaxies. God has a plan for the earth. God has a plan for his church. God has a plan for uh, believers, not only collectively, but individually. And here's the startling truth. The plan that God has for the earth God permits in this plan, he permits apostasy. 
You think about this. God permits, while this earth is revolving and spinning, God, who is in control, who has already assured us that at the end of the book we win. So it's in this time frame, as this earth spins, we are assured that God, who is in control, he permits apostasy, he he permits wars and rumors of wars, he permits, and it's difficult for us to understand some of these things, but God permits it. None of these things take God by surprise, but God permits famines. He permits that. And he permits pestilences. COVID-19 did not take God by surprise any more than AIDS did. You, you think about this. God permits it. God permits earthquakes. And do you remember what Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Matthew, that one of the signs of the times, he said that there would be earthquakes in diverse places. I'm talking about unbelievable earthquakes. For some reason, and I don't know why, God chose to work in earthquakes. He did in Elijah's day. He did on crucifixion day. He has promised that uh, it, it's going to happen in the future. So God specializes. He works. He permits earthquakes. And here's something else. And this is one where people struggle with their faith, where they question God. They bring God's love and God's integrity and God's character into question. Well, if God is a God of love, then why did Hitler murder millions of Jews? The obvious answer to that is this. God permitted that. It was part of his plan. It was part of his prophecy. And think about this. So God, not only, in, as we see in Revelation, as the earth spins, we not only see that in the back of the book we win, and God gives comfort to his church collectively and also believers individually, God permits all of this stuff and also included in all of this stuff is the rapture. So you think about that. Now, not only is there the rapture, but God has designed it in his plan for the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, the millennium, and the eternal destinies of all the wicked, including Satan himself. It's part of his plan. He has designed this. Now, the scenes in Revelation, this is what you have to understand. These particular scenes that we're going to see unfold, it, it sort of rotates, alternates between heaven and earth. It goes back and forth. And, and that's why you have to pay attention to keep this thing in context because there's so much interaction going on between heaven and earth. Chapter 1 is set in heaven. And so if you're taking notes, write that down. You need to keep this in perspective. And the reason for the altering scenes, alternating scenes, is to see the full and final answer to the model prayer. Now, I want you to look at this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. I've taught you this many, many times. I want to reiterate it tonight. Some of you here are hearing this for the very first time what I call and refer to as the model prayer, most people around the world refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. 
And if I were to say to you, have you ever heard the Lord's Prayer? You say, oh, yes, our Father which art in heaven. And you begin to recite some of these scriptures that you have learned as a child. But I want you to know something. This is not the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to show you why. This is the model prayer. Because Jesus said this, after this manner, therefore pray ye. He didn't say, learn this of me. He didn't give us that. He said, when you pray, I want you to pray this. That's a big difference. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're rotating in revelation from heaven to earth, heaven to earth. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread. This is why this is not the Lord's prayer. Jesus never prayed this prayer. He said, when you pray, you pray and forgive us our debts. What debt did Jesus have? He had no debt. As we forgive our debtors. Jesus knew no sin. He was perfect. He was the spotless sinless lamb of God. Jesus did not need forgiving. He was the forgiver. And so he said, when you pray, you." and so that's why I want to teach you, this is the model prayer. Jesus gave us a prayer. He demonstrated, he said it before us, and he said, when you pray, pray this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so in this book of Revelation, we see God's will being decreed and declared in heaven. And then we see God's will being done, decreed, declared, done on the earth. We also see that there is no power on earth and there is no power in heaven that can interrupt the fulfillment of God's plan that he has for this earth or for mankind. And so no matter how this world may be reluctant to embrace it, to receive it, to believe it, God's kingdom is coming. No matter what humanity may think, no matter what humanity may do. And so most of the events in this book, it takes place, listen now, most of the events in Revelation takes place after the rapture. So again, I want to give you verse number one in Revelation chapter one. Look at it again with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. So the writer of this book is the Apostle John. And John says that God sent an angel to him with this word, with this declaration. You might ask the question, Pastor, do you really truly believe in angels? You better believe I do. And the word says that sometimes we entertain them unaware. Now, look at this. There's another word here that I want to capitalize on. I have just a couple of minutes left. It's the word signified. So in Revelation 1.1, underline this word signified. That means to give a sign or a signal. And probably one of the things that I want to leave you with tonight is this, that as we study Revelation, especially we get into a word like this, signified, this book 
This book is filled with signs and symbols. Before the written word was on parchments, the early church, the early believers, when they had no word to guide them, and they were, they were living, they were functioning, they were operating, believing in faith, but they were going on messages from the apostles, pastors. And, and here's the thing. Those who were counted righteous before the day of grace, before the written word, God chose to move upon those people in such a way that they were inspired in faith, they were inspired to believe by signs and wonders. They, they were navigated in their faith by miracles, things that they observed. But there would come a point in time, and you have to listen to this very carefully now, it's not that God doesn't work miracles today. He still does. In fact, I will tell you right now, I consider myself to be a walking, living, breathing, talking miracle because of the Spirit of God living in me. I was a hell-bound, deserved, lost sinner, but because of the miracle-working, saving power of Almighty God, He changed my life. He changed my course. He changed my destiny. Any miracle that God ever did and any miracle that he never did, he can still do today. But God does not navigate his people by signs and wonders today. He navigates us, he moves us by faith. However, when we get to the book of Revelation, it is a book filled with signs and symbols. And I'm going to give you these examples and we'll close. It's 8 o'clock. For example, some of the signs and symbols in this book, you're going to hear about lamps. You're going to hear about angels. You're going to hear about incense odors. You're going to hear about candlesticks, candlestands. You're going to hear about trumpets, etc. All of these things, they're signs and symbols. They represent something. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to John. He's empowering him with a vision. He's making these things clear and plain. And that's why partly Revelation is difficult to understand because it is a book of signs and symbols. We have to know how to probably uh, put those in perspective and keep the Word of God in context. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.